Welcome to the Kingdom Revival Culture Podcast, keeping you in touch with Faith Mountain Fellowship Church in Red River, New Mexico. You know, the love that Jesus Christ calls his body to is an amazing, everlasting, unconditional love. And this podcast is just one of the ways that you and I can build each other up in that love. So to start, just enjoy this message, and then please contact us with prayer requests, feedback, or anything else you'd like to discuss at fmfcpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from everyone interested in helping create a kingdom revival culture. I love this church. I do. And you do too, right? That's why That's why you, you're here, right? Um, God called you here to be a part of this family and to, to serve this body. And um, I get it. I get it why people drive all over the place to, to worship here with you and to be with you. And, um, you're a very well-balanced church. And, um, and that's rare. Um, I've had the privilege of being on staff at one, maybe two healthy churches. And um, man, this is this is a blessing. This is a beacon for the community, and um, I just want to just affirm you guys because it's obvious that you've you've protected this body in a way that allowed that to be there. And the leadership has said we're going to do things the right way, not not because somebody says it's the right way, but because God says it's the right way. And so, whatever you're doing, church, I've only been here two or three months. Whatever you're doing, keep it up. It's good stuff. So I've um, I've entitled my story "My Place in His Story," and I and I gave it that title for two reasons. The first one is because there have been times when God has had to put me in my place. Right? Anybody ever been put in their place by Heavenly Father? Yeah. If, if you haven't yet, wait on it. And then the second reason is this. I'm thankful that he gave me a place in his story. And so I'm going to tell you the punchline. I'm going to tell you how we're going to wrap this up and then we're going to kind of flow out of that. But there are three reasons why I want to share with you today. And the first one is um, a part of my salvation story and coming to the Lord um, was prophetic. And so I want to prophetically speak over this body today and say, um, if you are not a believer, if there's never been a time in your life when you've decided, when you put a stake in the ground, today I'm going to be a Jesus follower. That's, that's what my son called it, a Jesus follower. Maybe you've been a churchgoer. Maybe, maybe you walked down an aisle when you were younger. Maybe you got wet in a baptismal. But God may call some of you today to true salvation or just to acknowledge that God has called you to be one of his children. The second thing is this obedience part about being God's children is that he calls us to be obedient and part of my story is that there was a season in my life that I regret more than anything but it's when I ran from the Lord is when I wasn't obedient and when I believed a small little lie and it almost wrecked me and one small lie turned into me going down this very wide road that a lot of people had to come rescue me and then thirdly, it's a call to ministry. And part of my story is I knew that God had a call in my life when I was really young, like eight years old. And so 
for the next few years, I was just kind of waiting on God at, at the advice of my dad. And I'll tell you more of that story later. But we all know already that God's called us all to ministry, right? But I, I just think there are some of us here today that have yet to either recognize it or be obedient to it. Now, when I look around and when I hear of what's, what's going on in this church, I don't, I don't see many holes. And that's a really good thing. There probably are some, but I don't see it. It's not glaring. But what if every person in this room today said, I know what I'm called to do and I know what I'm called to be and I'm going to do it till my last breath. Yes, thank you, Jesus. And I think God's going to call us to that place some, uh, today. So here's my story. So I was, I was brought up as a pastor's kid. And so whatever you've heard about preacher's kids, it's not all true, right? <laughs> Any other PKs in the house this morning? Any other ones? Awesome. That's it? Okay. So my, um, my dad got radically saved at 25 years old. He and my mom married at 16 years old. Um, had my older sister and, and well, two older sisters. And when my dad was 25, God got a hold of him. And uh, some, a pastor led him to Christ. And like you were saying earlier, my dad got it. And then he led my mom to Christ. And he led my sister to Christ. He led my other sister to Christ, and he, he continued through his life to bring all of us to church. So church has always been a huge part of my life, which I know is kind of different for some of you here today. But um, I was one of the kids that were probably very annoying. Uh, I would run in circles and run across the stage. and uh, But literally, church was like a second home to me. I, I felt like the church building was my play place. It had, they had toys upstairs. They had a big open space that I could run in between the pews and climb under. And I'm telling you, I, and rarely, unless I got out of hand, but rarely did the adult come tapping on my shoulder and say, quit being a kid. Right? And so being in church and going to church was, was a real, it was just common and average. I mean, we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, deacons meeting on Tuesday nights. Uh, outreach on Thursday nights. And so, I mean, it was, I, I grew up just understanding that as believers, we go be a part of a body somewhere, right? But it wasn't until I was 14 years old that um, God kind of came in and said, all right, I'm going to change the, the course of your history here. So in 1988, I was 14 and we did these things called revivals. You ever heard of one of those, right? So if you weren't brought up in church and you've just maybe recently started attending, revivals are not what happened to God's people. Revival is an event that the church put on, hoping that revival would break out, right? And so, uh, you know, we would always bring in an evangelist or a pastor with a name of some sort. We'd bring him in. And so it was Thursday night, and I, re I remember it being a Thursday night because um, I had the opportunity to sit by a really cute girl on Thursday night. And uh, the reason I wanted to sit by her wasn't just because I could sit by her, but at the end of every service, we would hold hands across the aisle and sing, we are one in the bond of love. And I couldn't wait. Like I had positioned myself in a place that was right beside her. And I was so excited. She didn't care. But, um, but I remember it being that night. It was the last night. And 
the, the music director, choir director, had done his part, and they'd given an update on the, the, the first part of the week, and the evangelist got up and spoke, and I was like, man, we're, you know, we're making it through this, right? We're almost to the end. And then the organist is playing the 32nd verse of Just As I Am, and he says, all right, stop, be quiet. He asked the organist to stop playing. Like, you don't do that in a Baptist church. Like, the <laughs> organist has to continue until the end of the service, right? So I was really impressed. Like, okay, who is this guy and what's he about to do, right? So he said, and he stepped down off the podium and he looked over to where the youth were sitting in the service. And of course, I was there by a girl that, you know, didn't work out, but that's okay. And he said, I think there's a young man tonight in the audience that God is calling to salvation and he's calling to preach. And I remembered back to when I was eight years old and my dad was tucking me in the bed. And, he, and I remember saying, Dad, I think I want to be a preacher when I grow up. And in my dad's wisdom, he said, just wait until God calls you. Because you thinking you want to do that is different than God calling you to do that. And so I said, okay, I'll wait. So for the next six years... I just kind of waited, kind of knowing that God at some point, hopefully maybe in my adulthood, right? But sometime in my life, God was going to call me to ministry. So when he said that, my heart dropped, my, my pulse rate doubled, my hands got sweaty, and I saw my life flash in front of me. Because even as a 14-year-old, I'm thankful that the Lord gave me this kind of clarity, and I was able to choose on one road... I could be an electrical engineer, and I, I've always kind of had the uh, uh, high acumen for, for math, and I've enjoyed it for some weird reason, and I was excited about that road. But I also saw this other road over here of doing what God asked me to do and, and being obedient. Okay, so I've got this life where maybe I could have some, buy some cool stuff and hang around with cool people, build some cool things, or I've got this life over here where... I'm obedient to God and there's, there's no promise. I just wanted to be obedient. So in those few seconds, all I remember is that I took the first step and I stepped over the girl that it didn't work out with. And I don't, I don't remember taking the next step. It was almost as if the Lord just kind of glided me down to the front. And I was greeted by my pastor at the time, and by the evangelist, and he prayed over me. And one of his, and I remember a piece of his prayer, and it went something like this, Lord, as you've called him today, I pray that he will live a life where others are called under him. And so out of that prophetic calling that night, from a Baptist preacher in a Baptist church, God chose for me the way of obedience. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I had to learn it again later in life. Amen. And maybe this afternoon I'll have to learn it again. And maybe tomorrow I'll have to learn it again. But let me just say this. God's way is the best way. Yes, 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 thank you. And if you're ever wondering about, you know, the outcome of things, if you're ever wondering about which road you should choose, listen to this. God's way is 
the best way. It's proven. I can tell you story after story of how me choosing the not God's way and it not working out and me having scars and bruises that are still visible today. Things in my brain that I'm still trying to overcome. Things that the Lord chose not to take away. Those thorns in the side that forced me to rely on him. Those things are still there. So when the enemy says, ah, God doesn't care. I go, do you see this thorn? God's way is the best way. So I graduated from high school and it was pretty easy. I'll say this. If you're, if you're a student here today, it was pretty easy to live for the Lord in high school because I just wanted to do things God's way. I didn't care what the other kids were doing. And I went to a public school in my senior year. They allowed me the opportunity to, to do a thought for the day uh, over the intercom at school. And I was able to 90% of the time read scripture verse over my school every morning. And every morning before school, 30 minutes before school, about 25 or 30 of us would meet for Bible study and prayer before school. I tell you, I don't know what I would have done without those 25 or 30 people that were dedicated to meeting. And I got to teach some of my peers every Sunday morning before school and go on the intercom and read scripture before school in a public school. It's a long time ago, it seems like we were able to do those kind of things, right? But for this, this boy from South Alabama, those were the most formative things in my young life. Youth group was, was my life. If you have teenagers here today, if you are a teenager, whew, my youth pastor put up with a lot of junk from me. I would, I would steal his keys and move his car. I would not pay attention during, you know, he would try to teach something and it wouldn't work out sometimes and I'd laugh at him. You know, it's like I, I didn't have any compassion. Now it's all came back to me hundredfold. But I gave him grief. But you know what? He loved me and discipled me and cared for me. In my senior year of high school, I remember him pulling me to the side to say, Jay, I've noticed you haven't really been here as much as you have been. What's going on? I didn't appreciate that at the time. But now, looking back, I appreciate a guy that was willing to offend me to tell me the truth. And in a world today, when we're so easily offended, sometimes as believers, we don't, we don't want to speak truth anymore, but it has to be in love. But speaking truth is a really good thing. And I think in part, the body of Christ, we've lost the ability to do that. We've lost the courage and the boldness to go up to a brother or sister and go, think you're doing the right thing anymore and then not just walk away and say good luck I'll pray for you but say I'm gonna I'm gonna commit myself to walk with you until you're on the right road again that's truth in love so I graduated high school and um, Baptist Church gave me a license to preach I don't know I don't know what they were thinking I don't even know what that means exactly but they the last Sunday I was there, they gave me that license and, and prayed over me. And I was like, I don't want to be a preacher. I don't know. I can't do it. Like, that's for grown-up people. Like, that's for mature believers, right? And at the time, I didn't really want to be a worship pastor either because 
our choir director, John McGookin, I couldn't do what he did either. And so I was just kind of in limbo, but only what's what I knew I could do because I had been discipled and I knew a model to follow. I said, I, I could probably be a youth pastor, 18 years old. I could probably be a youth pastor, right? So I left uh, the church that the Lord called me in and the next week I started as a youth pastor. Didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I'm going to Bible school, uh, Bible college, and I'm trying to learn what that means, but I don't really care in some, most days. And, and here I am, you know, I've got eight to ten students looking at me every Wednesday night, looking for me to tell them something important, or at least play a good game with them or something. And I remember thinking, whoa, Lord, I need you. Because I don't have a clue what's about to happen here. I didn't know how to prepare for a message. I, didn't, I knew how to... Uh, play a few chords on a guitar and I knew a bunch of fun games. But you know what? I saw a bunch of people come to the Lord because they would come for the games and God would get a hold of them. So I don't have a problem with all kind of creative outreach ideas. I don't have a problem with kids up there playing Ring Around the Roses or whatever they do. I don't care. If they're in church, they're in a place that God can get a hold of their life. And that's my story. I was in a place, I postured my life because it was modeled by my dad and modeled by my pastor and modeled by my youth pastor. I was postured to hear and to listen. And many times we're not postured in a way that we can hear and listen. We're distracted or busy. So I went through that and got a degree in religion. And again, I'm thinking, what are you doing, Lord? The music programs in universities at the time, they still were doing the traditional kind of music, so I knew I didn't want to like major in music, even though I loved it and enjoyed it. But it's, that's a hard degree. I don't know if anyone in here has a music degree, but gee whiz, I minored in music and I don't, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? That was enough for me. My senior year in college, I met, um, I met a girl named Ellen. And Graduated in the spring of 96, and in the fall of 96, Ellen and I got married. And um, that same year, I went full-time as a youth pastor at a church, and I was having a ball. I mean, like, you know, the idea of getting to be a full-time youth pastor was really fun to me. But our marriage was really struggling. And, you know, I told you earlier, I haven't always been on staff at healthy churches, and we struggle, our, our marriage struggled because the church that we were serving in was sick. And I didn't, I didn't understand enough to ask the right questions as a 21-year-old. I didn't, I didn't know what it looked like to have spiritual disease, but I saw it and it was so ugly. And it broke my heart to see backdoor meetings and to see people mistreated. And, I, and I'll just tell you this, I've never been more mistreated than I've been treated in a church. And not, that's just not my story. There, there's probably a bunch of you here that say the worst I've ever been treated in my life is by a church or by a building that has a name on the front of the, the place that says a church, right? So then the Lord kind of gave me another option. He said, you can either be hurt by this and you can accept that as the model or you can do something about it. 
So I, I remember writing a three-page letter to my senior pastor, and two weeks later, he fired me. So that didn't really help out marriage either. And so I was there for 12 long months. And um, I started to question things, you know. It's like, am I really made for ministry? Is the model for ministry that I have right? Is my personality right for ministry? I just don't know. I don't. My first full-time ministry job, and I get fired? So, with great joy... And I'm serious, with great joy, I started digging ditches. And for the next 10 months, I worked for the cable company. And I wasn't, I didn't have the nice job where I drove around the nice, you know, new trucks, knocked on the doors and said, is your cable working out? Let me even plug that in for you. I was the guy that was digging trenches to lay cable down in the soil. And it was in those moments where the Lord just began to restore for the first time. He's done it since. But for the first time, the Lord began to restore my calling to ministry. And I, would, I had these, these spades, you know, these short shovels. And I'm, I've done manual labor in my life, but eight hours of digging a hole in the ground, that's miserable. So it kind of forces you to say, Lord, are you there? And I'm thankful for that 10 months of digging holes in the dirt. Maybe I wasn't at the time, but I'm thankful for those months because it was in those moments of frustration and doubt and pain and tears. I remember tears just dropping down in the, in the trench. Lord, what are you doing? Lord, what are you doing? In that season, I took my first job as a as a worship pastor. And I remember sitting, so I went on a Wednesday night, and they called it in view of a call. And they put a stool up at the front of the church and people just asked me questions. Who are you? Who are you? you know, who's your wife? What do you see happening here? And I didn't know what to answer. I just made up stuff. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, knew, I knew who I was, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do as a, as a worship pastor. Are you kidding me? And so, I don't remember any specific questions, but this is a, a comment that I remember from the pastor. Now, listen how cool the Lord is. Listen at his timing and listen at his intervention. So, I'm, I'm crying in ditches Monday through Friday, and on Wednesday night, I'm at this church. And at the end of the question and answer time, this is what the pastor said. He said, we feel like we are a church that when people come in, they only stay here for a little while because after they're here, God's, God's healed them and they're able to go off and do what they've really been called to do. And I just, you're talking about 22-year-old guy that was just trying to understand what it meant to do ministry and, and figure out what I was supposed to do about it. And here I am coming from a really harsh, no fun situation. And then I have a pastor, a different kind of pastor looking at me saying, you're not going to be here very long, but it's okay because when you, while you're here, God's going to heal you. God's going to restore your faith in ministry. God's going to restore your calling that no man or situation can ever take away. So I 
broke down on Wednesday night. I, it was a season of weeping for me, you know? And I was okay with that. And the Lord was, was tenderizing my heart. You know, just like you tenderize steak, you tenderize steak with a wooden mallet, right? Well, my, my wooden mallet was a spade shovel. So don't doubt the times that are rough and hard. Don't question, is God there? Say, God, what are you doing? And he'll show you. So uh, it's about right. I stayed at that church about a year and then went full-time as a music and youth pastor at another church in South Alabama. And my marriage was miserable for both of us. We didn't start off right. We didn't understand to seek healing. We didn't, we didn't have mentors. We didn't have older couples that would speak truth over us and love us. In the summer of 1999, I was on youth choir tour. I got a call about midnight. And... Um, picked up the phone and uh, one of the deacons at our church said, Jay, are you awake? I said, well, I am now. And he said, um, Ellen has been um, physically and sexually assaulted in your house and um, you probably need to come home. She's in the hospital. So we were about four hours away and I had some good brothers that came and picked me up and in the middle of the night and drove me to the hospital in Mobile, Alabama. And I walked into the emergency room and I saw my wife who had been beaten severely by a baseball bat who was black and blue and who had been raped. And um, you talk about one of those moments where there's no feeling in your body anymore. Like every, every nerve and cell in your body is just drained out. So we work through that as best we can for the next few days. And, and she begins to, to heal. And, and the story makes a really weird turn. Come to find out that the guy that had assaulted her, um, she had been having an affair with him for about six months and she had tried to cut the relationship off and, um, and that angered him greatly. And um, so instead of just walking away, um, basically he, he said, if I can't have her, no one can. I understand this is graphic and I understand it's... Um, it could even be odd to share. Last night as I was just preparing for this, praying over it and finalizing the notes, it was, it was tough just to emotionally go through it again. Now, has God restored that? Yes. Has God... Um, healed me of any doubt yeah he has but I tell you what he has done also he 
He's given me this keen awareness and he's given me a love and appreciation for marriage. And I love being married to Casey. I was single for about eight or nine years. In 2002, I, I moved to Georgia from South Alabama. And that began the season of, of running and not trusting. And here's what I thought. I believe two lies. Maybe some of you can identify with me. I believe two lies. And one of them was, eh, I'll try the sin. And if God doesn't kill me, then he must be okay with it. So I tried it. God didn't kill me. I didn't even really feel bad about it. You know, I was like, yeah, that's fun. So that little bitty lie that was spoken in my ear, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Just try it. See. Okay, I tried it. and saw it. But believing that lie sent me down a long, hard road. Luckily, I was single at the time. I didn't have to drag a family through that. But I want to encourage you, church. When God places something in front of you, whether it's a commandment or a teaching or a calling or a passion, the worst thing we can do as his, as his children is forget it and do the opposite. So what's God calling you to today? What, what are the things that he's put in front of you? So I'm, I'm working my way back at this time. And I'll tell you how I worked my way back. I had two friends confront me. See, there's a second holy confrontation. Don't be scared of it. I had two good friends confront me and say, hey, we... We think we know where you're at and you need to stop. And there was this little piece of me that said, who in the world do you think you are? But there was a big piece of me that said, thank God, I'm miserable. Running from what God has for us will make you miserable. I'm telling you, right? Some, some of us know that, right? Because God's way is the best way. And when you've tasted and seen and when you've experienced God on an intimate level and then to decide to go another direction, that's death. So if you've tasted and you've seen and if you're wondering, okay, what's going to happen if I don't do this? Misery and death and destruction. That's our story. That's a lot of our stories, right? So after that time, I, I took some, some time off just from doing a lot of things. I was, I was playing music, and I began to date a couple girls. And I just said, you know what? I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything other than the thing God's calling me to do. And that's, I'm going to pour all of my energy into this church. So for a year, I didn't do anything outside. I didn't, I didn't socialize very much. Um, I stuck to myself a lot, and that was God's plan and it was in that year that, again, the Lord restored my calling to ministry. And you're talking about 
a gracious God because he really should have just struck me down with a, with a bolt of lightning about 4,000 times already, right? Anybody else have any more than 4,000? Okay, so I'm, so I'm the chief sinner here. Perfect. His, it's his love and his mercy that keeps bringing me back to him. I don't, I have never, never felt judgment from God. I felt it from people that said they were godly. But I've never felt judgment from God. Now I can look back to those two friends that confronted me. And I told you there was a piece of me that said, who in the world do you think you are? But I was so thankful. Like my body just relaxed for the first time in a long time. Because I didn't have to be somebody that I wasn't anymore. Church, do you have some friends like that? If you don't, you need to find them. If you don't have a friend that will poke you in the chest and go quit. You need to find one. You need to give someone permission to call you out. So I moved to Georgia about 2003. I met this really cute, long-haired, brown-headed girl named Casey. And we were great friends for about three years. So we had the kind of relationship that after one of us would go out on a date with another one, we would call each other. Like, how'd it go? Ah, I'd rather hang out with you. They'd be like, that's what we would say all the time, right? So I got done with this with this year, like sabbatical of having a life outside of church and ministry. And then I heard the Lord say, choose your wife. Lord, don't you want to tell me which one or point it out or like friend me on Facebook? Or something? I mean, so I don't, how does this work? And the Lord said, you have a better understanding of what to look for now. You're, you've grown up a little bit. Choose your wife and I'll bless it. So that's kind of backwards, isn't it? Choose your wife and I'll bless it. So he gave me these tools now to be able to look and see and understand. And because Casey had been an amazing faithful friend when I wasn't always an amazing faithful friend to her. I thought, you know what? Right or wrong, she's proven herself as a friend. I can imagine what she'll be like as a wife, right? So we got married in 2006. And um, I love her, I do. And because of some of the things that I've seen and been through, I don't, I don't take marriage lightly. You know, I've, I've read every book I know to read and I've gone to every course and seminar that, I, that I've known is available. It's not that I have this thing in my mind like it's not going to work out. But here's the thing that drives me because Casey is awesome and I love her. She deserves a husband that tries. And so instead of being bitter, and have this thing in the back of my mind like, well, I hope this one works out, right? Whew. Or calling her if she's not at home, you know, right after work. Hey, where are you at? I got a GPS on your car. I know where you're at. <laughs> I ain't got time for that. You know what I'm saying? 
So you're talking about just a life full of my decisions and a lot of bad ones along the way, but God's still restoring and a bad and a bad failed marriage that I thought was the X mark on any kind of ministry going forward in my life. How can I ever be a, a pastor? How can I ever be a worship pastor? How can I be a youth pastor? I have a failed marriage. Yeah. God's real good at taking away the enemy. <laughs> Meant for destruction and death and fear and heartache and toil and turning that into something great that gives him the glory. So about four years into our marriage, we were having a lot of struggles trying to have kids. And this is the last story I'll tell you, but we were having some struggles having kids. And so we, uh, we looked into adoption and um, I don't know if you can tell or not, but Gabe didn't look a thing like me. <laughs> so maybe I'm filling in the blanks for you here too. So his story is uh, he was born in December of 2011, and we, we started the adoption process uh, about spring or summer of 2011. And we got this picture. If you're not sure how adoption works, but we got this picture, and we could either decide that we wanted to enter into like, almost like a drawing for him, right? And the birth mother, if she was still in the picture, had to choose, like had the option to choose who she wanted the parents to be. Well, we got a call one night um, in late December, and it was from the adoption agency. And Casey looked at the phone. She said, I don't want to answer this because we'd already been turned down four or five times before. And obviously we haven't had a miscarriage, but Casey described that feeling as having a miscarriage. You're, you're already attached to this kid. You've, you've, you see all the vitals. You know where he or she was born. So she, she handed the phone to me. I was like, I don't want, I don't want that news either. So she was so mad at me. I don't want it. So she picked up the phone and we found out that the birth mom had, had chosen us and she lived in Houston. And she had only known, she'd only been a part of the agency for a month. So here's what, here's what the Lord did. He hid her, he hid Gabe away in his birth mom's stomach for eight months so she couldn't harm him. When it came time to sign all the papers and figure out all the things that need to happen for us to be Gabe's dad and mom, we got the bill and we'd already spent over $10,000 just kind of getting to this place along the journey. And Gabe's cost, right, was $38,000. We were excited that first night we got the call, right? Like, woohoo! We've been chosen. God was teaching me about adoption. <laughs> he would say, boy, you think $38,000 is a lot of money to adopt somebody? Let me, tell you, let me tell you what is costly given a life. Of not being a part of the family at all. Of running away and being stray and still saying, you're my boy. That's costly. I remember freaking out the next day going, what am I, where in the world 
am I going to get $38,000? I think we had like twelve dollars or $13,000 in savings left. And that was it. I was worried and confused. Like, what is going to happen here? I, I want to be Gabe's dad, but I can't afford it. Do we need to turn him down? And um, I met for prayer on Thursdays during lunch. And I remember saying, Lord, I need to tell him one way or the other. Either we can't do this now or I can't do it ever. I don't have $38,000. And God said, carry on like I've already taken care of it. I was like, okay. So I went home and told Casey. She said, I don't know how we're going to do it either. Just write the check. I was like, what? God didn't say write the check yet. You know what I mean? And in three days, three days, we had every penny we needed. Not just, not just to write the check, but to buy a flight out there to pay for a hotel and food. And people were giving us uh, restaurant vouchers. They were giving us extra fly miles to get. I mean, you, or, when God says go, if I would have said God, I, but I don't have it. You see what I would have been missing out on? This precious little boy who was always mine, who was always Casey's, who was supposed to be my boy. I would have missed out on my boy. So here's my question for us today. What are you missing out on? Because you're not trusting. What are you missing out on? Because your head's too far down in the ditch that you're digging <laughs> to look up and say, God, where are you? I know you're there somewhere. I know there's a purpose for my hands being blistered and I'm frustrated and I'm tired. God, what is your reason? God, what is your purpose? Well, I have good news for you, church. You've heard the expression, God doesn't always call the equipped, but he equips the... Well, listen to what 1 Corinthians 127 says. He doesn't always call the smartest people, but this is what he does. He calls the fools to shame the wise. He doesn't always call the strongest but he calls those weak and powerless to shame the strong. And I don't know about you, but as a believer, as a body of believers, I don't want to be the one that gets shamed over and over anymore. Because God has already put the spirit in us that has overcome the world. So wherever you're at in your walk today, I want to give you those three options again. I want to call the intercessors forward. And I want, I want to place in front of you today three things. This is how we started. First one is a call to salvation. Is the Lord calling you to commit your life to Christ? Or maybe just to get the order right. Church, at five years old, I came down front and talked to my dad about being a Christian. And then a few weeks later, I got wet. It wasn't until I was 14 years old that I really decided to be a Jesus follower, to do things God's way. So maybe that's your order too. Maybe it wasn't until later in life and you just need to get the order right. Is God calling you to himself today? Is God calling you to be one of his children? Be obedient. Number two, stop running away from what he's called you to do. Don't worry about being equipped. Don't worry about being the smartest or the strongest or having it all together. We'd all be in trouble if that was the requisite, right? Just say yes today and come talk to one of these intercessors. They'll talk with you and pray with you. 
work you through it. And the last thing is this. Each one of us in here as believers are called to ministry. Some of us are called to vocational ministry. Some of us are called to bivocational ministry. Some of us are called to volunteer. Matter of fact, I'd say all of us are called to some aspect of volunteer ministry somewhere. Ministry as unto the Lord. So my question to you is, what is that in your life? It doesn't have to be common and what everyone else does. I, it doesn't have to be in these church walls. Matter of fact, I'd say if it's not in these church walls, it could probably even be better. So that's the call today. To salvation, to obedience, and to ministry. So this is what I want to ask you to do. I want, I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to invite you to stand with us. And if you fall into any of those categories, there are people here that will love you and pray for you and guide you through that. So, Father, I pray for freedom in this room today. And I also pray for courage and boldness because I know it's not easy. There may be some here today that have a Christian reputation that may not even be Christian. <laughs> and there may be some who are running as hard as they can, but today... You are the good father waiting on the front porch, waiting, saying, come on, I'm ready. You don't have to run anymore. I haven't made you for this. And then the calling to ministry. Ministry inside the church. Maybe you need to help out with the youth ministry. Maybe you need to join the praise team. Maybe you need to be upstairs during the service loving on our children. Maybe you need to be in the community serving. Maybe we just need to be loving our neighbors better. <laughs> so Father, whatever it is you've called us to do today, I pray that a spirit of obedience will 